When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody, welcome to the episode 6 of the season 2 of the DNVR Nuggets' Serbian Corner. I'm your host Miroslav Ciuk and I'm going to be joined in a couple of minutes by one of my favorite league-wide writers and podcasters. But before that, I wanted to do a light recap of the couple of weeks since we saw uh, each other last. So, Nuggets started well with the win against the Raptors, even though they didn't play particularly well. But that game marked the beginning of the newfound friendship between the good guys and Scott Foster. And I'm pretty sure it lasted only for the duration of the clutch time of that game. After that, they've lost four in a row against Chicago, Spurs, the Nets, and then Toronto got their revenge. Last night, we saw them playing in Detroit, aka home of lost super talented bigs, screwed around for three and a half quarters, but at the end won comfortably. So now they are 47 and 23 after 70 games today with four losses advantage over the second seed Kings just before this weekend back-to-back versus the Knicks and the Nets that the whole of Serbia will tune into since those are going to be super early games. The point I'm trying to make at this moment is the Nuggets will most probably still hold on to the number one seed, which is nothing new because I already spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. But the new point is that we should prepare ourselves for very stressful playoffs. First round might even get rough if the Nuggets lose, for instance, two out of the first three games. But that would be nothing new to the Nuggets fans, I guess. But I think the Nuggets should be able to beat anybody that will come their way that early in the playoffs. But the second round will most probably be the Phoenix Suns, the team that has the most star power in the West and should be considered extremely dangerous. I might even go as far as to say they are as scary to the Nuggets as those Harden, Capella, Houston teams were uh, several years ago. We did get a two-season break of the highest expectations and highest stress because because of it without Jamal Murray, even though few Nuggets fans will tell you they weren't stressed out completely last summer, even without Michael Porter trying to beat the Warriors. This season's stress builds on the combined expectations of last three seasons since they project to finally be healthy for the upcoming playoffs. A lot of guys in the organization will face both inspection and introspection at the end of the season, namely Malone, Jokic, Murray, Porter, Calvin Booth. All of them are going to be under microscope in July. And to help me inspect what we have seen so far, but from the outside perspective of somebody that both never watches the Nuggets and hate all the NBA teams, but hate the Nuggets the most, I called one of the best in the biz, all NBA level writer for the Bleacher Report, and also a host of a fantabulous podcast called Hardwood Knox, Daniel Dan Favali. How the hell are you doing, Dan? 
Uh, much better after that intro. Thank you so much, as always. For, uh, it's so flattering, and your low bar for content is always <laughs> is always appreciated. Yeah, uh, I, I like to steal uh, my guest's uh, one-liners. So what are you going to do? Sue me? I mean, don't, don't sue me, please. Don't sue me because you have everything on tape. Just, just let this one slide. <laughs> I love hearing someone else say fantabulous or thermonuclear. Those are the ones that I love hearing from other people. Is it MFers or AFers? AFers. AFers, yeah. That's, I that's feel what so I awkward when I say it every single podcast, but they, <laughs> my, our listeners in Discord told me to keep going. So I'm just, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> so this is the third time you are on the Serbian corner, which makes you the most frequent guest not called Jeremy. And I know that courtesy of the Serbian corner stats and records. And I'm obliged to, to mention those guys. We've had you. Just after the Nuggets acquired Bruce Brown, KCP, Christian Brown, and most importantly, DeAndre Jordan last July. After that, <laughs> we did acquire all of those guys. Come on. After that, we've had you last November after several games when the Nuggets were in a bit of a struggle. But you sticked with them as your preseason championship pick. And now the Nuggets are again in a bit of a slump or maybe in a bit of a bigger slump. I don't know. So, of course, I want to ask you one more time. How confident are you today in the Nuggets winning it all this season? And just to make it clear, I'm not asking you if you're picking them over the field because that's dumb for almost anything. Just how confident are you compared to, to since the beginning of the season? I think the nature of preseason picks is you are going to get progressively less confident in them because the odds of you being right are so low and you're going to see all this other stuff. Uh Looking at what the Bucks have done specifically over the past like 25 games or so where they've just killed everybody, I definitely feel shakier in my Nuggets to win the title pick. When you look at the landscape of the West, as good as the Kings have been, knowing the Suns have Kevin Durant, knowing I guess the Warriors could decide to maybe win on the road one of these days, I think you look and say, okay, well, there's a path to like the Nuggets not being the prohibitive favor to come out of the West, but the West is so chaotic despite the Nuggets going through that losing streak and not looking great for part of the game against the Pistons, but eventually figuring it out. I still feel fairly confident in at least them coming out of the West, because as I mentioned, the West is so chaotic. Who is running away with this? And there are teams that certainly scare you, but who is the team that's just going to come in and gobsmack you right now? I think Phoenix would probably come closest just because the idea of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, but Hey, let's see what Kevin Durant looks like when he comes back, when he comes back, how many games of regular season chemistry are they still going to get to develop among that group? So I, there's a, I have a lot of questions about the Nuggets, more than I would like to have about the team I picked to win the title. But I don't feel probably as bad about this pick as you might expect, knowing what we've kind of seen from them since the All-Star break, basically. And then also kind of knowing what's happening just in the East, where I do think there's a legitimate case to be made that the three best teams in the NBA right now, I would disagree. But there are cases to be made that the three best teams in the NBA right now are all in the Eastern Conference. It's it's so funny to see they had this emotional game against Memphis where they practically clinched the, the number one seed when they beaten them in, in head-to-head. And after that, they just been been on cruise control completely. And we even heard uh, a message from Nikola Jokic who, who got annoyed by that. Because, I mean... In this span, and other matters just spoke about it a couple of hours ago on Locked on Nuggets, Nikola Jokic is averaging like 30-point triple-double 
in this in this bad span of games. Like, yes, yeah, sure, he's not playing almost any defense. I mean, if you're if you get 49 points in first quarter against Toronto, you're obviously not playing any defense. But he's still, you know, putting numbers up. It's just that the, the team got completely dismantled by by some uh, under 500 teams. Did you see in, in the past things like that? Like with a team that, that just got over the hump and just said, okay, we don't care about this anymore. Normally you would you would feel indifference from a team that didn't have so much to prove because like the Nuggets, yeah, they went to the Western Conference Finals the last time they had Jamal Murray available in the postseason. But like they've had two years of sort of these expectationless seasons where yes, Jokic won MVP, but they were playing mostly pressure free because of the injury to Jamal Murray and then the makeup of some of the rest of the roster. Uh, so if it is a matter of disinterest and they're kind of in cruise control, uh, I would call that very unacceptable, but you mentioned Jokic's numbers. I mean, it's just very clear. Like this is, it's the makeup of the roster more than it is Jokic. And even if you think he's going at 70% speed, if it's going to be a 30 point triple double, that is perfectly okay. I do wonder though, they did build out that huge lead um, in on the number one slot. Did that give them sort of this false sense of security? And I think you could still say, look, the Kings have been killing it. They're technically within striking distance, but the, the smart money's on the Nuggets retaining that one seed. And maybe there is something to, are they trying to conserve themselves? Are they trying to discover more about themselves? Which is probably the kindest way to frame what some of the bench rotations was, have looked like uh, lately. But I think a lot more of it has to do with, okay, we're seeing kind of what's inherently flawed about this roster. And then also, and I'm sure you've talked about this, like it just seems like no team is healthy, but like Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray specifically, those seem like guys that, that are hurting right now which would make you wonder why they're playing so then it's like well they're clearly not they can't be that hurt because why would they still be playing but that's just something i've noticed from the two of them since the all-star break they just don't really look the same and that's when your margin for error on defense is not that large to begin with and now you're gonna get some setbacks um offensively especially from who's supposed to be your second most important player in jamal murray i feel like the nuggets are currently feeling the weight of all that more than they're just in cruise control and don't care. And interesting thing about the Nuggets, the best kind of their basketball is when they're completely playing through Nikola Jokic. When he's the fulcrum of every offensive uh, possession, it just gives them the best possible offensive rating or whatever you want to call it. Problem is, when he's off the court, even with most of their stars on the court, or or let's say, uh, top-level role players, they just seem to forget how to play basketball because they are so heavily invested into playing through him. And it's, it's the, biggest, the, the biggest problem here, I think, is the fact that NBA teams have zero time to, to, to train together, just to play five-on-five five and just, okay, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's use this week to... to to collect ourselves and learn how to play without Nikola on the court, see different combinations and stuff like that. It's just impossible because there are too many games. And unfortunately, even in the playoffs, they will have not more than like three, four days of ramp up before the playoff even starts. So it's going to be, it's going to be rough. Uh, there, there was just this running joke that the Nuggets are, are on purpose uh, signing DeAndre Jordan, so the, his uh, Nicola's net rating swing would be historically big, like it was 
but it's really historically big with with any other guy out there is is just it's pre- pretty frustrating because uh, us as nugget fans we have a lot of uh, confidence in in uh, most of our guys and we'll talk about six of them uh, in a, in a minute but before that i wanted to ask you about michael malone this is his eighth season as the head coach of the nuggets he is the fourth longest tenured coach in the league at the moment some will say that this long tenure coincides with Nik- Nikola Jokic being there for the duration of it just like you know coach pop with uh, with tim duncan for instance um and i know it's not easy to analyze the coaching in the nba because it's not europe it's not fiba basketball heck it's not even ncaa college basketball where the coach is super influential on the team we are talking about coaches that are uh, you know supposed to coach guys who are on a way bigger you know payroll than they are so it's not fair to expect them to to be like like uh, uh, somebody that decides on everything there so the main thing we can talk about are the the rotations and then you know the timing of the timeouts and challenges and after timeout actions and and that's about it so based on that i can say confidently that michael malone is the coach with the worst rotations in the league and he's actually tied at that position with 29 other coaches because every fan base thinks their their coach have the, the worst rotations possible so jokes aside he's known as a coach that adjusts to other team very slowly especially in the playoffs but to be fair he was much more experimental this season comparing to his earlier versions and honestly he's too experimental right now 12 games before the before the playoffs so give me i mean i i do have some optimism about him being more uh, more uh, gelling with the team this time around what do you think what are his biggest strengths and weaknesses come playoff um yeah i mean the strengths i think you have to look at the the relationship with Nikola Jokic is absolutely huge. I think like that's the the biggest strength for this team um, that the coach and the player do seem to be on the same page. When you're talking about his weaknesses, uh, yeah, I don't know why his rotations would necessarily engender confidence. I do think we get to a point where some of it might just be the options that are at his disposal. At the same time, why did it take so long to get back to, you know, we saw Christian Brown against the Pistons. Like why did it take so long to get back to him? Um, why doesn't Chanchar play more? Like why are you so married to Jeff Green? at points what was with the three guard lineups i mean with reggie jackson on the court at all then i come back to though when you look at what they did at the the deadline like they got reggie jackson they brought were on the buyout market they pick up thomas bryant and like that in theory juices your offense it didn't do anything to really address their biggest needs even though upgrading backup center was a big need there are lineups that make more sense with specifically bryant on the court um and we did see that against the pistons uh, but you kind of have to dip. And if you're even going to go with three guards, like Reggie Jackson can't be one of them because you're just going to be woefully undersized and overmatched, especially with how Jamal Murray is defending right now. So do you, the, the fact that we have to ask this question, you mentioned how he's been slow to adjust in the playoffs. Maybe that changes this year. We saw that uh, during, I think, I think it was the Bucks title season. Mike Budenholzer was known as stubborn to his principles and he ended up a- adjusting more than he normally does. Uh, is he going to stick with Christian Brown? in the playoffs. Is he all of a sudden going to, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is only playing like 25 or 26 minutes or something, even though he has it going offensively. Uh, Are we going to see like too much of Reggie Jackson? Um, 
are we going to see, you know, not enough of, of Chanjar when you're just looking for guys who might be able to hold their own switching on the perimeter. Um, and those are all just questions. I do. I look at the options he has and they're all sort of imperfect, but it does feel like to date there have been better ways to experiment. I don't really know what they were looking to gain from the three guard stuff specifically. And the moment you see any combinations in that negative with Nikola Jokic, like it needs to just be thrown in the garbage because that doesn't happen. Uh, and I think, I think you could probably comfortably say like, yeah, some of these things will get ironed out. Like I don't think the three guard stuff will be a staple in the playoffs, but the question of Christian Brown specifically, or how is he going to utilize Michael Porter jr? Uh, especially if Jamal Murray isn't having like the best night, like those are real uh, concerning questions that you don't want to have, especially when you're talking about at the top of the roster with Michael Porter jr, where it's, I know he was frustrated. I can't remember which loss that they had where he just sounded pretty uh, pissed off that uh, he wasn't put back in the game. So that's not, you know, you don't want to have that disconnect, but you also, especially at the top of the roster where Michael Porter Jr. is no worse than your your third best player. And he's been your second best player, quite frankly, since the All-Star break. And it's, so it's a combination to me of just weird, unsettling, and then also how much else is he really supposed to do? Like, even if he does everything the fans want, that we want, how much better is the Nuggets out, b- rotation outside of their starting five actually going to be? Whew, that's that. That's a lot of to, to to decompress. So let's start player by player, just just to see what the Nuggets uh, have shown so far. We can all agree that they have six starter level players, and after that, that there is a pretty big drop off. Drop off, you know, with the seventh and eighth guy, whether that's Christian Brown, Vladko Chantor, whoever. It's it's by design because they have like. Four huge contracts, one pretty big contract with with KCP, and then you get to to much uh, lower values. So it makes sense. Let's start with the only formal non-starter on this list, Bruce Brown. I know you liked Bruce on the Nets. I was among those Nuggets fans that watched him only a few times a year. So I expected a guy that can play almost five positions, despite being only 6'4". And it turned out, on the Nuggets at least... He is, in fact, a guard, and he cannot do much against bigger guys. But, on the other hand, because the Nuggets starting five is quite big, he can fit, you know, instead of any of the five starters. Even Nikola Jokic, I can see him replacing Nikola and putting Aaron Gordon on the five and Michael Porter on the four, even though we haven't seen that for a single minute this season, I think. But I think it it would work. Uh, how how impressed are you with his games uh, on the Nuggets? And uh, uh, do you think he he got he got what it takes to to be a significant com- contributor? You know, en route to the championship. Yeah, I think lately specifically, he's probably been a little bit disappointing on the defensive end. I don't have real qualms about like his defensive game overall this year. I think if you were looking for him to be more of like the lockdown one on one guy, that was never going to be. His strength, you're more likely to get that out of a healthy Aaron Gordon. Offensively, uh, we've seen his, and that's Russell saying in that comment, like we've seen his limitations, I guess, at both, end, both ends of the floor. We've seen it on offense, though, too, where he's he's not shooting well from three since the All-Star break. And when you do that, um, that's such a, a swing part of his game because if he is hitting those wide-open threes, like it changes the way that the Nuggets in certain of those lineups are defended. I mean, if he's not, you have to get into a situation where you're probably f- trying to figure out how to put the ball in his hands more because he can be effective on the ball. That's that's a that's like kind of an unsung part 
of his game is his decision-making on the ball, but you don't necessarily want to put yourself in a situation where we need Bruce Brown on the ball. Now, if you change the way you're staggering some of your minutes, uh, we saw some of that lineup against the Pistons where like Bruce Brown was the de facto point guard. I think there's utility in that, but I do think for him specifically, um, especially if you're not getting good shooting from Aaron Gordon, it's really going to come down to, okay, well, like how well is he going like, going to be shooting from three and I don't want to boil his game down to that, but if he's in the playoffs and he's shooting like 26% from three, it gets much harder to play him during higher leverage minutes. I have some concerns about the nuggets on offense. Something I, when we speak about the, the, the starters stuff, like what if the team is just not guarding Aaron Gordon on the perimeter at all and just, you know, doubling Jokic all the time. And, it's it's a small problem because there are schematic things you can do around it to 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 counter it. But on the other hand, when you don't have Nikola Jokic on the court, I feel pretty uh, uh, pretty safe with uh, Bruce Brown being a part of a super defensive lineup. Mm-hmm. Like stagger KCP next to him, put Christian Brown there, put probably Vladko Chanchar, and then you can pick either you know AG or Michael Porter Jr. Even. Let's try to switch everything, stuff stuff like that. Let's make these guys run, like defend their asses off and then try to run and, and just save those non-Jokic minutes in that way. Because I don't really think that Nuggets have, have a real uh, chance of playing good uh, half-court offense without Nikola Jokic at this point. So yeah, if, if they, just, the they could just, just, year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just switch to to like 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 those uh, uh LeBron Lakers championship team which which you know half court offense wasn't great but they were just running all all the time yeah i mean that that's certainly worth trying i saw someone in the chat saying like they should really be trying to play like Michael Porter Jr and Aaron Gordon as the 4 and 5 respectively i guess you'd go that route which i think would probably juice up your offense quite a bit uh the the Jamal Murray without Jokic minutes i think have been really disappointing this year when you're looking at those numbers, because in theory, I know he's coming back from an injury, but like that's the guy that's supposed to be able to carry units without Jokic. And they have such a good connection that you probably don't want to stagger them like too, too much. And these minutes get fewer and further between during the playoffs. But we've also seen during the postseason that non-star minutes can swing entire series. I think the Philadelphia 76ers fans know this probably better than anyone in recent memory. And and so I don't know what the answer is looking at the roster, but I would agree with you. It might be worth trying out the the supercharged defensive lineup that you're mentioning. Um, I do like the idea though. Uh, and I can't remember the exact lineup. I saw them roll out against Detroit, but like you have Bruce Brown on the court um, and he's basically your de facto point guard and Christian Brown is with him. And then automatically you just know, okay, well, we're not going to have three guy, three guards on the court at once. So it's Jamal Murray, the second guard. Maybe you want to stagger him from KCP. Um, so you can, I think that should be the baseline for their bench unit and they should build out from there. And I do think, which I guess it's not, it probably isn't flying under the radar amongst people who root for the nuggets, but like, it certainly doesn't help, uh, throughout all this, especially when you're looking at how reliant, uh, the nuggets have been on, you know, Jeff green minutes or even some Thomas Bryant's minutes, which haven't been, you know, great. Uh, but Zeke Naji just having this shoulder injury and being banged up, like that does change the fabric of their their bench rotation in theory. But he's another player where, like, well, do you trust Michael Malone to even rely on him when it matters? Okay, next up, K 
KCP, Kenny Pope, or Kenny P-Dog, as only I like to call him. NBA 2K hates him. His overall rating is something like 76, which is five less than Thomas Bryant, for instance. Nuggets fans hated him when he killed us as a Laker, but now he is one of the most beloved players in Denver, and I believe he was nobody's scapegoat when things get rough uh, so far, uh, which is pretty interesting because he is a guy you will often see that made only three points during the whole game, and nobody is talking about him in a negative way because he is de facto Nuggets' best perimeter defender, and I would even say the best defender overall, have, having seen Aaron Gordon uh, you know, slumping a bit I- I- in the in the last month or so. So uh, uh, I believe that he is shooting something like 44% from the three-point line still, even though I, I kind of feel it's it's on a bit of a lower volume recently. I might be wrong about that. You know who the better shooters on the Nuggets are? Do I know who the better shooters than KCP yeah, per, are on the Nuggets? Yeah, per, per, uh, percentage-wise. It's only uh, Pey- Peyton Watson and DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan is 100% from the three-point line. And I, 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 I need to mention It's that. impressive that he's still at 44% or whatever you said for the season because he's been at like sub-26% since the All-Star yeah. break. Yeah, he was, he was just shooting like 55% for, for, for many months this season. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. Can can we rely on KCP helping the Nuggets go all the way to the end, or are there some some real problems regarding his game that might stop him from doing that? I think you're probably seeing like maybe the lower of the lows for him uh, offensively right now when we talk about how poorly he's shooting from three. But there's also there's always been variability caked into his his offensive performance, you just have to live with it. I think what he's done defensively for them this year, though, is always going to offset any maybe poor nights or poor stretches that he has uh, on the offensive end. I think where you maybe get into trouble with him is, are you going to start depending on him? Like, he's he's a wing stopper for you. Him and Aaron Gordon are your wing stoppers. And KCP's not that big. He's like 6'5". And when you're going up against, if you have to face a team like the Clippers, um, or even the Suns, like he's going to have to go up against like maybe multiple bigger wings. I think that could he be overmatched in on those occasions? Yes. I don't really have any concerns from though, because like you can't, like you knew what you were getting into when you kind of fleshed out this perimeter defense rotation is that you didn't have that type of bigger wing. And I think he does a good job for the most part of guarding up. And then there's, if you're playing him and Aaron Gordon together, which is a pairing I very much like defensively, it sort of allows him to go on, if they want the smaller, um, like the, the smaller, you know, peak wing player, uh, so to speak. So I don't, he's probably of all the players we're going to talk about, he might have like, yes, he's not better than some of the players are going to mention, but he might have the, the least glaring weaknesses of the bunch where it's like, you kind of know what you're going to get from him, but nothing is so damning that it's probably going to define a loss or a series one way or the other. He's also an NBA champion, so it's it's not a small feat. And he was like third best player on that team, even though you you might say that maybe maybe Ronda was the third best in that playoff run. But I would still go with KCP. Okay, let's take a short break and then we'll return. And we're back. 
Aaron Gordon was the second best nugget for the big chunk of this season, but he did injure him, his shoulder when he sent Landry Shamet to the realm of shadows. And since then, he hasn't been physically dominant as before that. He completely changed the narrative around him after being considered a bad star for years in Orlando. He is now a great complimentary piece that is actually still on the borderline star territory. So this is why the Nuggets fans felt he was deserving of the All-Star call for for this All-Star game this, this season. But is he ready to be the glue that keeps everything together for a championship winning roster? Or, or That's a great question. I think you could probably rely on, I mean, right now, physically, the way he looks, I, I don't, I would say no. But overall, a healthy KCP, like, I think the extent to which you can rely on him defensively um, is mission critical to what they're doing. The offense is where I'm going to have questions and he's going through a three point shooting slump of his own. You mentioned this at the top teams might not guard him. Teams might also just throw their big on him and that's going to make things tougher on the nuggets offense. If he's not going to hit his threes, but also just part of, I guess the injury he's dealing with, or just this funk that I call it a funk. And yet the nuggets offense is still like TAF still. Uh, But part of this funk that he's in is he's not getting the basket as much either. And so like what part of his offensive game are you going to, to really trust in the postseason? especially if he continues to play like this. And so I do think he's capable of getting there because when you look at some of the lineups he's playing in, like if Jamal Murray and Jokic and Porter Jr. on the court and two of them have it going, uh, he's, excuse me, um, like he's going to get high quality looks. He's going to have space to operate. And that should, in theory, if he's going to be healthy enough, I would expect his efficiency to tick up. Um, But I guess the aggression level of, is he going to get to the basket enough? Um, How well is he going to finish there? Uh, like those can all be questioned in the postseason based off what we've seen over this sort of mini stretch that we had this conversation basically before the all-star break. I don't think I would be equivocating at all. He, he, he either needs to, to, to find his shot back because he was really shooting impressive for the more than half of this, this season. And then he just lost confidence in it. And the, the, the free throw shooting, it's, it's really concerning because you know it's possible we'll see some hacker or Aaron in in these playoffs because of the the way he was he was shooting uh, free throws. But yeah, I mean, he whole season really. from three since the All Star break, and I think the last time I checked, he was at like sub sixty two percent from the free throw line since the All Star break. And it's like, yeah, those are not uh, the free throws are a good one. Not at something that I can consider. Like he doesn't take enough of them. I feel like for it to really matter. But as you mentioned, like teams could if he gets the ball in his hands, could then up, like, end up doing the, the hack strategy in the playoffs if they wanted to try that, especially during crunch time. That's why it's really important for him to be healthy so he can just crush everybody trying to, to foul him and just do an end one. So even if he misses it, it's not, a, it's not a, such, a, such a big problem. Okay, let's now move to the, to the most interesting guy on the Nuggets right now is Jamal Murray who missed two playoff runs due to injury recovery, even though we really hoped we'd see him last spring. This year, he was really bad at the beginning. Then he got better. Then he was actually awesome just before the All-Star break. And since then, he's been having trouble with both his knees being sore. And that does not go well with him being able to cook guys in the pick and roll and even more on the defensive and trying to jump over the screens and stuff like that. So let's start with the optimistic part first. 
What makes Jamal the second best player on an NBA champion? I do think it's his ability to hit really tough jumpers and then also the ability, the chemistry that he's developed with Nikola Jokic, even when it doesn't look like Jamal Murray's physically right, even like Aaron Gordon, he's not getting to the basket nearly as much. Even now when it feels like he kind of deviates away from the Jokic dynamic sometimes when Jokic is, is on the court, there are flaws there. And I think, though, you look at, one, we've seen him hit wildly big shots in the playoffs. We've seen him do real damage off the dribble from the perimeter. And even now, as you're looking like, you know, his efficiency being all over the place since the All-Star break, his shot selection not being great, 34.9% from three on nine attempts per game. Like, there are worse, there are much worse slumps to go through over that. And so maybe this increased the the extent to which he has swings from game to game if we're going to continue along this track. Um, and I know there's someone I see in the comments saying that Jamal Murray's not the Nuggets' second-best player. I think you get to a playoff series, and even if you don't think he's not their second-best player right now, which is fair the way that he's playing, he is their second-most important player because you're not even going to get – Michael Porter Jr. is playing fantastic offensive basketball right now. You're not going to get the same level of shot creation from him um, that you are from Jamal Murray, even when Murray is taking shots that you necessarily don't want him to or it feels like he's taking too many. That pressure on the defense – is super important. And then there's also just a higher probability, I would argue, than a lot of other players because we've seen it from Murray before. Like he can hit those looks. You don't want him settling. You want him physically right so that he doesn't look like he's sort of just like floating around on the defensive end or so movable there. But I I firmly believe even with, and look, he kind of like picked up leading into the all-star break. Like I thought like he had turned a corner at one point and since then it's been downhill. If he hits that stride again, I don't think we're having a question of, oh, is he Denver's second best player? And even if you don't think he's Denver's second best player, it's not even me saying he's their second most valuable player for the playoffs. He needs to be their second best player. And if you want to really get through the West, he needs to be Denver's second best player. And I think that's just, if Michael Porter Jr. is your second best player, is that going to come in as many minutes as you know Jamal Murray is getting? Probably not. He's probably not even going to shoulder, he's definitely not even going to shoulder the same level of defensive responsibility. If Aaron Gordon's your second best player, okay, that probably means he's killing it on the defensive end, like he's still more of a play finisher on the, it means he's hitting his threes, um, getting to the basket more. So that's great. But for what is most valuable in the playoffs. And I think it's why, like, I'm not comparing him to Donovan Mitchell, but what people fail to saw with Donovan Mitchell's efficiency during the regular season is that was someone who really put playoff defenses on tilt. That's what Jamal Murray is capable of doing in a way that no one else outside of Nikola Jokic on the Denver Nuggets is. You hit the nail on the head with with that, the fact that Nuggets really need Jamal to be their second best player, because when teams hard double Jokic in playoffs, the rest of the guys needs to play four on three, and you need Jamal in that because Michael Porter is not going to create for other guys. Right, he he's having a really really good season, but but on the other hand, it's just not his role. And, you know, Aaron Gordon has some playmaking in him, but if if Jamal is not right, there's zero chance Nuggets are getting deep into the playoffs. So, yeah, I really like this point. I'm not. I'm also not super confident that uh, Jamal will find his stride uh, in these playoffs, but I really, really hope he does because that's by far the best chance for the Nuggets. Yeah, the knees to, are just play well. mega concerning at this point with him. That's, that's the only way to frame it. It's just like, there's a chance. He'll be, let's assume he's playing. There's just a chance now that he's just injured 
for a third straight postseason, even relative to the bar of, okay, no one's healthy in April and May. If he's just actually injured for a third straight year, you have to start asking some really uncomfortable questions after this season. Yeah, so that, that's the inspection I was talking about in the offseason this season. So hopefully it will not get get to that because it would be a big, big uh, team of the offseason for the Nuggets, for sure. The, uh, the other guy that, as you said, as you mentioned, was Nuggets' second best player since the All-Star break, Michael Porter Jr. He's having his best season so far on aggregate. And first of all, he's having a season, which is a huge upgrade over last year. But kidding aside, he's showing he's not only you know shot ready as he used to be, He's also attacking the rim much more frequently. Even his handle is better right now. There's some playmaking developing in him as well. He's playing connected on defense much more than than before. So uh, the problem with him, as you mentioned, Michael Malone doesn't trust him. We've seen him being benched like two games ago against Toronto, which was... Yes, which was no, good. sorry, against the Nets. And that was really, really scary for me. Because if you don't trust your like the third max guy, twelve games before the playoffs, you're in a deep, deep problem here. But what's the best? And I think it's the margin is widest here. What is the best and worst scenario for Michael Porter in these playoffs? Well, I think it's it, they're kind of the inverse of each other. I think the best case scenario is he is closing every single game. And the worst case scenario is that when Michael Malone is looking to play the matchups, he's the one that's going to get yanked over as on, like if things hold right now, do you look at pulling Jamal Murray in crunch time rather than a Michael Porter jr. If you're trying to get to the, we want three hugely net positive defensive players in theory on the court. Um, So I I think that's best and worst case for him. And I guess if, you know, you would know better than I, if Mike Malone really doesn't trust him, that's got to be a worst case scenario at this point because you're on this mega deal. The Nuggets are shallow as it is. Right now, specifically, Jamal Murray has not been playing his best basketball. And to still then not have that trust factor or be the one that they're going to pull. And I know his, look, in previous seasons when he was healthy, like his defensive playmaking was really interesting to me. I haven't been as high on that this season. But, like, I don't think he's been worse than a lot of the other players that are still going to get minutes. Like, Jamal Murray specifically has just not been good lately on the defensive end. So, I'm just very curious to see because we talk, we could talk about the rest of the roster, the depth of it, but the top six guys are the ones who matter the most. And when you look at some of the matchups they might be facing, or if we're just trying to scale ahead to a general crunch time blueprint, you could just say, okay, we're going to go with the starting five and that's it. But if you want to put Bruce Brown in there, it's most, I would assume it's most likely going to be Michael Porter Jr. is the one that gets pulled. And that just creates, I guess if you win the title that way, it doesn't matter. But if you do anything short of uh, coming out of the Western Conference in that scenario, and he is, let's say, an iffy crunch time inclusion, or if he's not even a guy who, when he's healthy, you're just not guaranteeing him 30 minutes per game, um, that feels like a worst-case scenario because it feels like then you're going to have to have a tough conversation with him when his play really hasn't warranted that type of introspection this year because he's just been... Uh, and especially now, he's just been so good. Before we move to Nikola Jokic, I wanted to ask you something. I, I, I've checked the basketball reference this morning to see what's the projection for the Nuggets for this season. And they're like at 54 wins right now, which is not super high for a one seed in the West. They're still projected to be the one seed, by the way. Is this the reason 
why we are having these tough conversations right now? Or is there a deeper reason for it? Something like, you know, when, when Utah Jazz was number one seed a couple of years ago, nobody really took them too seriously as the biggest contender there. Do, do you feel there's a deeper reason for the pessimism or is it just that it's an aberration year and nobody's really super, super good in the West? I, I think there is, on a national scale, this inherent skepticism of teams that are built around big men that have at least one glaring weakness. And the Jazz are a great uh, parallel here because of how much everybody doubted Rudy Gobert's offensive versatility and then his ability to hold up against defensively against certain matchups. And with Nikola Yoka, it just comes back to his defense. Can he hang on the perimeter? Um, can he improve at all uh, as a rim protector? Because the Nuggets are one of the worst teams in the league at actually you know limiting opponent percentage uh, around the rim. And because that exists, and I also think because there's, on top of that, an inherent skepticism of teams built around bigs in general, I would say when you're looking at centers, Anthony Davis gets that skepticism too. And it's it's warranted. Like he can't carry an offense the way that Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid can. But even with Joel Embiid, he gets it a little bit as well. It's more so with his health. I feel like he probably gets the benefit of the doubt as, oh, you can win a championship with Joel Embiid as your best player more than a Jokic, more than an AD. Um, and maybe that's warranted. But also he has James Harden right now. And there was a lot of questions of just like, well, like how is he supposed to carry the team as a playmaker? Like when Ben Simmons is such a non-entity in Philly, you know, scaling back to before last season, of course, and Simmons didn't play for them. Um, so I, I think it's a combination of those two things. And then I, you know, you mentioned a, a great point. It's just like, yeah, 54 wins is kind of low for a one seed and the West is just so chaotic. And sometimes I think like people are influenced by, well, okay. The, the Suns have Kevin Durant now that matters. And then people have been waiting for the Warriors to flip this like championship switch all season. And maybe we've been slow to accept a new normal which is just that the Nuggets are the best team in the West. Yeah, they're flawed, but which team is not is, is infallible beyond them. And it's I think, again, right now, Phoenix probably comes closest. It's it's even the Clippers. There's Kawhi's been killing it. And then you look at some of the decisions Ty Lue has made. Them signing Russell Westbrook remains wild. They might be hitting a groove now, but like just when you start to trust them again, they kind of implode a little bit. And are we still looking at the Clippers as, well, like look at the players, look at their depth chart. Have we just been slow to accept the normal of, Golden State is old, can't defend on the road, won't rebound on the road, apparently. Uh, they're also missing Andrew Wiggins right now, which is huge. The Clippers are deep, but they're wildly inconsistent, and they have a problematic, uh, I would say, rotation at the moment. They've gotten better at it, where Terrence Mann isn't being buried as much, uh, but like just the affinity for Marcus Morris when he's healthy, starting Russell Westbrook. And so I am wondering that, towards, even if you don't think the Nuggets are going to win the title, um, to think that they are inferior as title contenders does feel like it goes a little bit far, but again, it feels like it's a function of all of those things just compounding on top of one another. Okay. For, for the end of our uh, uh, player resumes for, for, for today, Nikola Jokic, he's a guy who's got the incredible amount of hate nationwide, which is incredible to me really for a guy, you know, that literally uh, is trying to, to keep as, as low of a profile as possible. So then you get this uh, online discussion about whether it's him, whether it's the annoying Nuggets fans, whether annoying Serbian fans only only talking about him all the time. And it's like like 
Like, does anybody actually listen to fans online when we are talking about national TVs and ESPN and, and stuff like that? And we've seen, you know, doubters in his playoff portfolio because he's only averaging 26.4, 11.5, 6.4 on 52, 40, 84 throughout his playoff career. So obviously he's not a playoff performer and he's never been to the conference finals. No, sorry, mixed my my notes. It's not it's not Jokic is the other center. That ah, it's not it's not important. Forget about that. So, what are Nikola's strengths that will get the Nuggets over the hump? But also, why is he going to fail at that miserably? I think his strengths are just known at this point. Like this is if he's not the most transformative offensive player in the league, he's he's one of two. Like I think the only argument that I'd probably really consider making is is Steph more of a transformative offensive player. That's it. And we have seen, you go back and look, there's this, uh, part of it's true because like, yeah, we need to see like the Nuggets win more in the playoffs. Yes, it's great that they made the Western Conference Finals in 2020, um, the last time they were full strength. But like, it's not like they have this long-standing history of going deep into the playoffs with this core, in part because this core hasn't been available. At the same time, to say that Jokic has been the primary problem is just wild when one, he's been, of their stars that they've had, stars, I use that loosely, he's always he's the only one that's been available just because my, uh, Jamal Murray wasn't available last year or the, the pro season before that. And his, it don't like, yes, his numbers are good, but go back and watch the games. Like, even when the Nuggets offense have had rough goes, like, he's able to make adjustments, change his modes of attack. So everything he's doing translates to the postseason at, at its zenith. Like, this is not someone who is going to drop off in the postseason offensively. That is massive. That is absolutely massive because as we talked about with think of Rudy Gobert in the playoffs where we're talking about this multi-time defensive player of the year whose greatest strength was marginalized at points, not all the time, at points when it matter, matters most. That is never going to happen with Nikola Jokic. That is huge. And then I also think his limitations are well known here. It's, it's going to come back to the defense. He's such a good rebounder. He definitely knows where to be. He has great hands. So there can be stretches where he's playing really well, but it does feel, especially earlier in games and then against certain opponents, that he's late to where he needs to be around the basket. And I don't know if that's a function of, well, we're really going to try and save our defensive mojo for for crunch time. And Denver still is the best crunch time defense. I'm a big believer in that being some of its luck, just because we're dealing with such a small sample. But if you watch some of their games, just the execution from like the first quarter to the end of the fourth quarter in close games is, is such a, it's so different. Um, so, you know, he can do it, but like, there are going to be certain opponents. Like, can he hang on the perimeter? Um, can he commit to going up to, there are points where it looks like he's not dropping, but he's also not playing at the level of the screen and you need to cut down on those opportunities because I don't think he's quick enough um, to get back to the basket in those situations. And we saw, um, I think it was the first Raptors game. Cause I didn't catch their second Raptors game. They actually won that first Raptors game, and yet the Raptors just killed them at the basket for most of that night. And I think that's the like that's going to be the question with him in the playoffs. And there are teams that I think are better equipped to exploit him than others. Um, but it's going to come down to um, I think even if Jokic is, I'm not gonna even if he let's say he is a defensive liability in the playoffs, there's still a chance that he can be the best player on a title team to me. But it goes a longer way towards if you have to carry this clearly flawed roster, like you need to be as good on point defensively as we've seen him be for small spurts and especially towards the end of a lot of games. And that's going to be, I think the the biggest question for him. 
I, I think we now have a pretty huge sample that shows us that the only way he can play the pick and roll defense is playing at the level. And that means everybody needs to be on the string. Everybody needs to rotate hard and protect his back in, in those situations. And I've seen, especially as you mentioned in, in crunch times, I've seen many possessions where they really, really uh, uh, did their best to do that properly. And these are the possessions when he gets the deflections, when he gets the steals, because his hands are just out of this world. I mean, in all possible facets of, of what the hands can do, when you see his touch around the rim or even from the from the mid-range and then on defense cutting the, the passing angles, it's just amazing. And it's so disproportionate to what his legs are able to do. And, you know, <laughs> legs are unfortunately uh, equally important and maybe, maybe even more uh, uh, important when we're talking about the bigs. Do you see somebody out in the West... In this situation, when Nikola Jokic is cut, uh, is cut way out of the perimeter, that can punish the Nuggets inside because of it. Who is the uh, the dominant big that would feast in that kind of situation against the Nuggets? I wouldn't call him a dominant big, but I think because of the roster around him, it would be DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix because of just the matchup problems that. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant existing on the same team on the floor at the same time would pose. And because of DeAndre Ayton's play finishing, he might bail you out of certain instances because he's going to take, instead of finishing strong at the basket, he'll take like those fadeaway hooks, which just make no sense sometimes. But that is someone who, when we've seen him at his peak, I do think that he could really end up punishing the Nuggets in large part because of what Denver, including Jokic, is going to have to do to game plan around the two best players in Phoenix right now. So if I tell you the Nuggets have won against Phoenix in like like six games, which is pretty comfortably, what is the reason why the Nuggets beat the, the Suns? Ooh, that's a real. I don't know if I have an answer to that question. I would probably say that their offense was just so good, and you had Murray, MPJ, Gordon, KCP, and Jokic just all on at the same time, and you were able to sort of poke and prod. And, and surgically just hurt um, Phoenix's weak points defensively, which, yes, they have Josh Okogie, they have Torrey Craig. Like, they're not barren of good complementary defenders. And Kevin Durant's defense has been pretty good this year. Um, but, like, they have weak points that you can attack. And I think DeAndre Ayton's been one of them where he sort of fluctuated. Um, and if you're beating them in six, part of that would be like, okay, like, did Phoenix not shoot as well from three as they were supposed to? Um, was Chris Paul too low volume on the offensive end? Uh, was Josh Okogie, uh missing a ton of threes or Torrey Craig missing a ton of threes? And then was Aiton just not aggressive enough on offense? Was he actually getting hurt on defense? We've seen, I think he might be the most important defender in the NBA at this point because you get rid of Mikael Bridges and you've just decided like DeAndre Ayton can still anchor this defense. What if he can't? What if there's still that inconsistency that we've seen? And so there's not one thing I would say happens if Denver easily beats Phoenix. It could be something as simple as Kevin Durant comes back and all of a sudden this looks awkward. He doesn't look right. Um, I don't think that would be the issue just because the Sun said he would be playing right now if it were the playoffs. So I think everything else I sort of outlaid because you're not going to have, maybe you get an off series from Devin Booker, but it's just very rare that you're going to get an off series from Kevin Durant and even just Devin Booker because of how well he moves off the ball. And that could be another thing. If we're talking about 
not what's in the realm of, oh, the Nuggets did this on offense and the Suns failed to do this on offense. Maybe the Nuggets just do a better job of tracking a lot of the off-ball actions that you're going to see with Phoenix. Like Maybe they're really able to just neuter um, DeAndre Ayton's play finishing. Or maybe when Devin Booker gets moving off the ball, maybe they're really able to, to slow him down. Uh, do I think they have the personnel to do that? That's questionable. That's why, that's why we're here. That's why we're wondering like what their title stock is at all. Um, but that would be, I think, um, I think it is at this point, I, I waffle, but I think it is their most difficult matchup, but it's also kind of the most fascinating one to me as well. For me, it would be really important uh, to, to uh, tire up uh, Chris Paul, like just attack him every time on defense, try to try to make him uncomfortable and try to limit his offensive approach because honestly well, Murray's got to hit shots for that to work. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And 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 he needs to to be able to 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 turn the corner on him as well. So thing about it is I I think Durant even if he's like 70% he'll probably still make 30 points per game. I I have no doubt that I know how otherworldly he this is. This man just comes back. You there's real <laughs> concerns about his availability on a game anyways, but th- this dude just comes back from injury and is just a top five. Like I don't know that we talk enough about he was probably one of the two or three favorites to win MVP. This is someone who has before he got injured. This is someone who's coming off an Achilles injury a couple yeah. of years ago. That just yeah. doesn't happen. Just absolutely mind melting stuff. Yeah, he he was MVP favorite at point last season and this season as well, which is insanity. It's really insanity. Of course, his uh, his availability is not as good as it used to be, but if he's available for playoffs, that just that's the only thing that matters. Okay, before I let you go, what do you expect from the Nuggets Knicks game in the Madison Square Garden tomorrow? They they are the one of the teams I watch the least. The Knicks are. <laughs> so I'm pretty shocked to learn that they're pretty good this season. Is that just the fact that Tom Thibodeau is riding his best players 40 minutes per game? I know that that uh, 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 they have the, the the minute leading guy like like every year. Uh, uh, or is there some playoff juice in them? So I, I've seen the the standings. They look pretty comfortably at number six seed. They mm-hmm. maybe can move to number five, but not more than that. They shouldn't drop down either. Are they going to be stressed out to win this game tomorrow, or should we expect a, like a laid-back game for both teams? Yeah, I always kind of feel like that there's this matinee every year between the Knicks and the Nuggets, and then the Knicks always get trucked. I don't. I did not research that. That's just the feeling that I have every single year. Uh, I do think with this game, what's big, there's – I. Yeah, the Knicks, some of their players are logging really heavy minutes, but they also have like one of the deeper rotations in the league. When you look at Isaiah Hartenstein has played better, the acquisition of Josh Hart, you normally have Emmanuel quickly coming off the bench. Um, I don't know if Jalen is, I haven't seen if Jalen Brunson, I guess he's not listed on the injury report I'm looking at. So is he going to play? Um, that's a big one because if Jalen Brunson isn't healthy, he is very much, even when he's not scoring, just knowing how to allocate touches and defer to Julius Randle to involve other guys. Um, he's just big to how their offense operates. Uh, but they're a team that I think might surprise some people in the playoffs. They are still very predicated on hitting some difficult shots to make the offense work. RJ Barrett is an absolute wild card. Um, but the growth of Emmanuel quickly at both ends of the floor, the addition of Josh Hart has really given them some some defensive juice. And the fact that, okay, yeah, they're a team that goes to ISO a lot, but now it's not just Julius Randle ISO. It's like you have Jalen Brunson. So you have actually two players who can generate 
scoring opportunities out of nothing. That's not something you had before. And so I think the bigger question with them is just how are their, you know, complementary wings going to work on a game to game basis? Like you can count on Emmanuel quickly, but Grimes has been up and down. Um, RJ Barrett's certainly been up and down. Josh Hart is mostly up, but is he going to be high volume enough on offense to keep defenses honest? That's always going to be uh, a question with him. So for Saturday specifically, it really wouldn't surprise me if uh, Nugget uh, Jokic puts up one of his trademark 30 point triple doubles at this point and Denver runs away with it. Uh, but I think that the Knicks are a team that they're not a contender, but what we're seeing right now feels more real and sustainable than not, even more so than what we watched during Julius Randle's most improved player campaign when Tom Thibodeau won, won coach of the year. Because if you really go back and think about that, they were just so reliant on this outlier season from one guy, really. Like it was RJ Barrett had a good year. There were great bright spots there, but they were just so reliant on one guy, even though they had depth and their roster no longer feels like that. Impressive. impressive. I, I honestly hated Tom Thibodeau in the time when he was uh, coaching the Timberwolves because he was also playing like his starters for 40 minutes. And then he had a EuroLeague MVP in Nemanja Bjelica, who was just t- standing there and playing eight eight spot minutes er- every year. So this is why I developed the, the hatred towards Tom Thibodeau. But obviously what he's doing in New York after, what, what's his, this is his third season in New York, fourth season, something like that. Yeah, this is his third, fourth. This is fourth. fourth yeah, yeah. It, it, it's really making progress. So kudos to him, I guess. So thank you for your time, Dan. Honestly, I bring you here to force you to speak about the Nuggets for a full hour because I usually don't get that on your podcast, even though uh, because you have the pretty big uh, Nuggets following, you you tend to to find time for the Nuggets on most of your podcasts, which is, which is really great from your time. Do you have something uh, to promote at this moment? Uh, I will promote an error. Tom Thibodeau has been with New York for three years. It just feels like a lifetime. So it's not four. So I'll correct myself there. Uh, no, I don't have anything to promote. Just check out if you have not already, as Miroslav mentioned, uh, he's been a very uh, loyal friend of the podcast for so long. Check out Hardwood Knox. We do try to have a lot of fun, cover the league at large without being insufferable about it. And you won't get an hour of nuggets talk very often, but at least once a year when we do the the season outlook. So um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a blast coming on to talk with you. Thank you very much. That's all for today's show. Get ready for the easiest possible back-to-back with the travel in between in the next two games because the Nuggets are basically staying in New York for two days playing Knicks and Nets. And uh-oh, who said New York nightlife and also New York horse racing scene? So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, actually... It turns out New York is the best horse racing city in America. So this is this is what we find out, you know, covering Nikola Jokic. That's that's what you get every day. So thank you for staying with us to the very end and go Nuggets.